Hey guys, it's Danielle, your smart investor. Today, December the 19th, 2017, we are only a few days away from Christmas. The most expensive holiday of the year, hello, besides maybe your birthday, and I think you probably spend more money on people on Christmas than you spend on yourself for your birthday. However, guys, you know, I want to tell you my story because I rarely tell people my story, but my story is very important to other people when I tell them what I've been through. Um, I was told I wasn't going to make it in middle school. My teacher told me I was going to be in women's prison and I just could not get it together. I, I felt like what he was teaching, which was um, geology, it just wasn't interesting to me. And he didn't really have the attitude as to where... He wanted to dig deeper and help children really succeed. And his name is Mr. Livingood. I can't think of his first name. I'm going to find out his first name one day and I'm going to go say, hey, remember me? However, my story begins long before there. But I finally made it out of middle school, finally made it out of high school. I probably graduated the bottom of my class in high school. Said I was going to work. Wasn't going to go to college because I was, I was, gonna, I was determined to be everybody out of the corporate game. I said, I will work corporate America while you're in college and then I'll be making more money than you by the time you get out of college. Well, I did that and it didn't work the way I wanted it to work. I mean, after I saw all my friends going to college, I was kind of like, damn, man, I'm bored. I'm here by myself. I'm working at UPS. I'm working at, it was like a local TJ Maxx type of store. It was called Farmore in Raleigh, North Carolina. Shout out to Rough Raleigh. It is an amazing place to grow up. And I just got tired one day and I was like, wow, I got to go to college. I think my last friend went to college and I was like, okay, I got to go to college. So I applied to several different schools. I applied to Pace University in New York. I applied to Johnson C. Smith in Charlotte, North Carolina. I applied to Morris Brown College in Atlanta and I applied to a local technical school in North Carolina called Wake Tech Community College. Because I was told by the big schools, hey, you gotta get your SAT score up, you gotta get some classes under your belt, then you can apply back to us in the spring. Well, we're talking about, I was already in the spring of uh, 2000. I was in spring of 2000 and I just graduated in 1999 and I kinda got a little depressed, but I said, hey, I gotta make this work. So. I kept working. Finally, I took like two or three classes at the community college. I didn't even finish the semester. I said, this is for the birds. I got to get a real education. Nothing against people who go to community college, people. Come on, guys. I'm just telling you my story. It wasn't for me. I got to get out of North Carolina. I got to go somewhere else. I got to make it on my own. And I've always had the mentality to make it on my own. So I finally got the letters back from colleges. And I almost damn near cried. I was pissed off that... Johnson C. Smith denied me. And I'm like, hold up. As an HBCU, you got to be able to help the plight of young African-Americans. Like, how do you deny me when I'm searching and yearning for a, a, another chance in life? You know, I messed up. Help me. So Johnson C. Smith, boo to you. And I will never forget that letter I got in the mail when you deny me. But shout out to Morris Brown College in Atlanta, Georgia, because they started me on my new journey through my new whole horizon, my atmosphere. I mean, that school is so prolific and I'm really sad to know that it is where it is now, which is almost extinct because we can't afford for HBCUs to be extinct. Any college, think about it. Any higher education environment needs to be there for generations and generations to come. So um, I'm very, very, very upset at, at, at where Morris Brown is right now, just fighting to even have presence on their downtown campus is it's hard for them right now. But I went to the school and it just turned my whole life around. Mind you, I'm coming from Raleigh, North Carolina. It is a majority Caucasian environment. Um, you do have some African, you do have African-Americans there in Raleigh. Don't get me wrong. It's just that I lived in North Raleigh, which was kind of like if you live in Atlanta, which is more like North Atlanta versus Southwest. <laughs> Shout out to the Swiss, nothing against you guys, but I lived in North Raleigh. So when I came to school here, of course, I'm from where you have all the Big Ten universities, Duke, Chapel Hill, uh, UNC, Chapel Hill, sorry. You have NC State. So I'm coming to a campus. I was like, what is this? I mean, the campus was so small when I got here. But once again, I was thankful because 
let me backtrack for a minute. When I first applied to Morris Brown, they denied me too. They denied me and was like, hey, Miss Moore, we really need to know why you, you want to come here. This essay doesn't tell me anything about why we should bring you into Morris Brown with your low GPA, your low SAT scores. Uh, actually, I didn't take the SAT. I took the ACT as an Apple Cat Tom, and I still got a bad grade. They were like, so and for us to even kind of like waste our time and bringing you here and building you up, we want to make sure that you want this. You're hungry. And I rewrote my essay and I got my welcome letter about two weeks later. Happiest woman in the world. Came to the university. Let's skip forward. I have no family in the South. All my family is from the North. Um, the furthest we go would have been North Carolina. And... I was down here by myself. I had to discover new horizons and I came to school to be an attorney. Absolutely, I wanted to be a litigator, wanted to be a criminal defense attorney, wanted to knock people out of, I wanted to knock those other prosecutors out of the courtroom. Do you hear me? Like, I'm so passionate about what I do. I'm very feisty. Um, I, I question everything. I take nothing at face value. I'm, a, I'm an intellectual, like, seriously. So anything I do, I'm passionate about, and I always succeed because I'm very competitive. So I got accepted, came to the school, fast forward, my classes were very enlightening, changed my major sophomore year from law, I was in pre-law, I changed it to public relations. I was cool with public relations, I let a, met a lot of good people in public relations, end up coming to my senior year in school, well, sophomore year, I had to get a job. I had to move because I was living in the projects, driving to school because it's very expensive attending a college, okay? I think I was at 25000 a year when I went to Clark. I eventually transferred to Clark, but Morris Brown, I stayed on campus. I think I was at about 21000 22000 So I'm moving on in life. Um, I ended up transferring schools, and that's when I went to Clark. Love Clark, graduated from CAU. I'm officially a Panther, represent them to the death of me. Love CAU. Different experience than Morris Brown, but definitely a great HBCU. Great teachers met great people. Um, I ended up working for a developer. Now, how I get to this is, for every day outside of my freshman year at Morris Brown College. I had a job. I had the job on campus, which I can't even think of what it's called now. Um, you get paid through the university, but it's kind of like, yes, yeah, work study. <laughs> Thanks, my co-pilot is in here helping me. So I had a work study job and I was making like $10 an hour and it was just like, Morris Brown was going through some issues then <laughs> And we didn't know if our paychecks were going to clear sometimes. So we were like rushing to the banks on Fridays trying to get paid. And I just kind of got to the point where I got to get something better. So I went from working at work study. I worked for the SALT program the summer of 2001 at Morris Brown College in Coca-Cola. They had a joint venture program. And I worked there, worked with some amazing kids. I will never forget them. And from there, I went and got a job at Best Buy. And I was working at Dollar Tree. So when the summer job was over, I still had two jobs. Now, as we came around to my sophomore year, which would have been the spring of 2002, I had to get out the projects. I was living on Godby Road in Atlanta, which is really College Park, and it's still bad. It was really, really hood. People selling all kinds of stuff in the neighborhood. I mean, people catching the clubhouse on fire because they didn't want to pay rent. I mean, it was crazy. I'm straight living in, like, the Carter <laughs> I'm straight in a movie, you know, I'm straight in New Jack City and I'm just down there chilling. So I, I moved on and I said, okay, look, I'm tired of driving to Best Buy every day. So I end up living beside the owner of the development company I was going to work for. I end up living beside his assistant. And every day I knocked on her door and asked her, was there anything she needed me to do while I was before I went to work at, at Best Buy. And every day I knocked, every day I knocked, and she would say, not today, baby, not today. And that one day that I knocked on the door and she said, I got something for you, was the day I quit Best Buy. And that was in 2002, and I have never, ever had to work a regular job since then. So people, prayers come true. You hear me? Like if you stay devoted and you stay hungry and you stay focused on what 
you have to do, it will come to you. When I tell you I knocked on her door every day, every day around four o'clock before I went to work, I knocked on her door asking her, was there anything I had to do? I said, I don't care if it pays me seven. I don't care if it's free. I'm willing to work my way to the top. And I initially came in at $9 an hour, praise God. I initially came in at $9 an hour and I was just a runner. I was just, you know, running stuff from one office to another, sorting mail out, just doing knickknack errands. I didn't care. I was thankful. I was, in an, I was in a corporate environment. I was like, wow, I'm here. I finally made it. And from there, because I kept this job from sophomore year in college all the way up until a year after I graduated, which is another amazing story that will come later on during this story. But I got the job, was totally thankful, moved my way up the ladder. Um, I ended up getting all type of um, tuition checks. They helped me, you know, buy books and, you know, pay my rent and whatever I needed because I was living on one of the developer's properties. So I was able to get all my bills paid, which was, I was so thankful for because I could never imagine a little girl from North Carolina who knew nobody but was just determined to make it would get such a great opportunity. I was the youngest, the youngest person working on his staff. I believe I was, what, 20 years old? when I was working for him. So I graduated, um, I came to college at 19. I took a year and a half off. So sometimes it's okay to follow your instinct. And my instinct was to try to make it work my way. And when my way didn't work, I resorted back to option B. I mean, hey, people got option A, B, C, D, E, F, and G. As long as you follow through, hey, you're good. G may be the billion dollar mark. And you're gonna, you would have never wanted to skip B, C, or D to get to G. So. Follow your path. Just, I wanted to tell you that while I continue my story. So I'm working at the company, learning all kinds of great things, end up getting a promotion, um, ended up the person that brought me in on the team, ended up leaving my senior year of college. And believe it or not, you guys, she trained me to take her position when, when she left. So I began cutting checks. I'm going from just being an assistant, you know, ordering lunch, uh, you know, doing whatever it was just for my $9 to making $15 an hour to going salary. Um, at this point in life, I'm, I mean, I'm still with the company. I'm graduating now and I'm 23 years old, making more money than I could ever imagine buying, you know, Mercedes Benz coupes, living the life. My cars, some of my cars were paid for. Um, I lived in a great apartment, downtown Atlanta, I mean, everything I had was new. And then I ended up buying my own condo. Like, by the time I graduated at 24, I have, I was living. Like, I had already, that was my gift to myself, my condo. So I ended up getting a, a job, extending my, um, extending my tenure, I shall say, with this company. And I got a, a job offer senior year to stay on as a bookkeeper and cut the checks until they could hire somebody permanently. Well, I went from... Uh, I went from doing that to actually moving into a different department before, <laughs> this is crazy, I can, let me back up so you can understand this. I was in that department as a bookkeeper until they found another bookkeeper. But before they found another bookkeeper, I was graduating. So remember, my family's coming to town, graduation is here. And um, with the transition of companies, you always have people that come in and they try to make the transition easier. And that made me making it harder for you. Well, graduation time came. My family came in town. So I took Friday off. I took Friday off and I it was some checks I was supposed to deposit. And I didn't deposit them. And I deposited them on the next week. I deposited them on that Monday instead of that Friday because I was graduating on Sunday. My family came in town, took off early. Well, the transition boss didn't like that. And she asked me that I deposit the checks. I said, yeah, because it's Friday. You won't see them until Monday anyway. So I figured I could get them in there on time on Monday. Well, she was being messy and we're not going to say her name. But mind you, I'm young and I'm making money and I'm making decent money. And you always are going to have people along the way that are going to try to knock you off your podium. And that's why you got to hold tight to that podium. Even if you got to glue yourself to it and your podium is your belief, which you stand on. So... I get back into work Monday and she calls me to her office and she says, Danielle, um, you, you know, congratulations, you graduated, blah, blah, blah. She was like, I need to talk about the checks that you didn't deposit on Friday. And I said, you're right. I lied about it because my family was in town, but I did drop them off this morning. She said, well, you know, you can't do that. She was making the situation more than what it was, but I understand why she was. I mean, it is what it is. I mean, it doesn't matter. I had checks on me and I should have got them to the bank or I should have told somebody, hey. 
I need you to do this for me because I'm leaving early. Or I could have did it myself. I could have just made a detour. So she ended up firing me. She ended up firing me. And what I did, mind you, I'm holding fast to my podium. You're not going to fire Danielle. No, you're not. So I ran to the marketing department and I told the marketing manager that what was happening. Luckily, the marketing manager didn't like her. <laughs> so the marketing manager didn't like her. And she said, you know what? You're going to. I'm going to move you over here to my department. Now, I graduated with a public relations degree, so marketing is where I wanted to be anyway. And this lady, you know, I thought was really intuitive. You know, she had a lot going for herself, and I could learn a lot from her and work my way up to the top of this whole marketing thing. Back again, I'm in, you know, mentally I'm in corporate America, and I made it. You guys, I shook that lady so bad. She thought, that lady thought she was going to fire me, and then she, when she realized that I was getting pulled into another department, it was nothing she could do about it. So I kind of like, I was like, yeah, man, I dodged a bullet. So I'm in the marketing department. I'm loving life and I'm learning a lot. And I'm thinking, hey, this is perfect. The economy is, is going through a depression at this point. We're, we're actually hitting the recession where we're actually ready to do really bad. Well, we're going into 2007 now. So that's, we're in 2006 and we're going to 2007. And the, the marketing manager that I work for, believe it or not, time goes by and guess what? She tries to let me go. I mean, months have passed, you guys. I mean, remember, I graduated in May of 2016. Uh, the lady tried to fire me in May of 2016, and then the marketing manager saved me. So it's about, mm, about eight months in on the job at the marketing department, and it's really, 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 really um, educational, and I'm learning a lot because I'm now I'm doing commercial real estate. I'm doing residential real estate. I'm doing marketing for these. I'm in board meetings. I'm listening to people talk about condo conversions and commercial land and NNN or triple net leases and percentage leases, and I'm like, wow, 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 and I'm in board meetings with the big people. I mean, we're meeting with Secretary of State. We're meeting with different council members. We're meeting with Bob Johnson, or Bob Johnson comes to the office sometimes to see our developer. Just to name a few people, I mean, this, this developer was the who's who of you know African-American construction me very very wealthy so i'm meeting all these amazing people and then the marketing manager slides in the fact that hey well we're gonna end your position and you're gonna we're gonna give you a severance package oh boy i tell you i'm on my podium again guys and i'm like hold up now i am not gonna get knocked off this podium and i fought for my position and i ended up going directly to the owner of the company and asking him to save me and he saved me and i was like wow great so, but guess what, guys? A few months later, she was so mad that I went over her head. She ended up, <laughs> she ended up letting me go seriously like a few months later. And um, the owner couldn't save me this time. So what he did was he gave me a great severance package. And, you know, I got great referrals and I moved on. Guys, when this happened to me, this was my life. This was my everything. I wasn't even, even though I'm working for a developer in real estate, mentally, I was not thinking I could ever go into real estate. I'm thinking about, my public relation degree I just got from Clark Atlanta University. I paid a lot of money for it. I'm probably, I'm at $100,000 probably from, for going to school there. And I'm like, wow, my degree is worth nothing. I'm not even in my major anymore. Like, what am I going to do? Started working for a public relations company where we were doing sports management and we were um, representing NFL players, NBA players, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, wow, uh, okay, so this is another way. I'm getting to the money, at, I'm rep, you know, I'm rep, helping her represent people that make millions of dollars. Eh, wrong. These people don't want to pay. Like, when I tell you they think they should be in, like, something super, super fly for, like, free a month, like, they don't want to pay. But if you don't have the talent, you can't get a free truck. You can't get a free Porsche. I mean, some of these dealerships will be telling me, we're good. We don't want that person in our car. He can buy one if he wants. But And that's what you have to go back and tell the client. So I went through that spat and I said, okay, this isn't where I want to be either. I got to figure something else out. I started putting my resume together. When I put my resume together, I realized that my entire resume was compromised of real estate. Real estate, real estate. Real estate management, real estate uh, uh, condo conversion, uh, real estate new construction. I'm just like, wow, like this is... Really, you know, I gotta get then I'll get a job in real estate. So I'm in I'm in real estate, um, trying to find my bearings. Um, I'm working for a guy that you know is an investor. An investor is a new word to me because I'm coming from a, 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 almost a billionaire. This guy builds when he builds, he builds airport airports, airport parking decks, you know, corporations. I mean, this he's building the big stuff, and 
Um, it didn't work out there for too long. Believe it or not, the guy and I were still we're still actually cool. We talk, but he started stuff just started not working out, and um, my house went up for foreclosure. Um, my Mercedes coupe got repossessed. Um, my lights got cut out. <laughs> I mean. I already lost my job. I mean, things just really start going downhill for me. And I'm like, I, many people will hurt themselves or, I mean, I was severely depressed. Don't get me wrong. I was severely depressed and I absolutely lost everything. Um, from that point in 2007, I just, it felt like I could not get it together. It just felt like it was getting worse. It was getting worse. I went, I went and moved to another apartment almost got evicted out of that apartment, just, you know, doing odds and ends and still trying to work with this investor and just really trying to make things work. And I was just, I felt like I was on a losing end. Believe it or not, I still had my faith and I ended up meeting, I'm very talkative. And that's another reason why I, I'm, I'm so good at what I do because I talk a lot, but sometimes I talk about stuff that makes sense. And I end up meeting a new neighbor of mine in my community. Remember, I told you I just brought a condo in 2007, brand new. I ended up talking to one of my neighbors one day. We were just cordially talking. We're not even talking about real estate. And then she cordially asked me what I did. And I told her what I did. And we became cool. And that was it. And I hung out with her sometimes. And she was an older lady. And this lady would end up being my godmother. Because one day I just was talking to her. And I told her that I was going to have to move. Because I couldn't afford to pay my mortgages anymore. And I had an 80-20. An 80-20 mortgage is still popular today. But um, normally it's for your FHA home sometimes where you'll get really expensive houses and they want to give you an 80-20, meaning only one bank will give you up to 80% of your loan. And then you have to find another bank to give you 20%. Now we'll talk about that later on in another segment as to how that really can work for you. Ultimately, um, the 20% mortgage can never foreclose unless the 80% forecloses. But do you know, when I was telling this lady about what I was going through, she said, I'm going to pay your mortgage for you. And I said, I don't, hey lady, you don't have to pay my mortgage. I don't know you. You don't know me. I can't pay you back. I don't even have a job right now. She said, look, I'm going to pay your mortgage. You bring me your statement over here. I'm going to pay your mortgage for you. She's like, at least this will buy you another month. And I'm going to send it directly to your mortgage company. I'm jumping for joy. And I'm like, well, I believe in miracles. And I know God is watching out for me. This lady don't know me and she just paid my mortgage. So, I mean, I'm back on my hype. I'm like, okay, now I got to find a job. So I ended up seeing one of my old bosses and he started telling me, hey, I want you to rent some property out for me and you can have the first month's rent as your fee. So this is when the Australians are like really big and purchasing a lot of stuff in Atlanta. I mean, they're coming through with the Egyptians and they're just like, boom, 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 boom. They're buying like all the real estate. So I was renting properties and I had this experience. Remember, I worked for this developer. So I had the experience and I'm renting properties and then I'm like, okay, I'm renting properties. Cool. It'd be nice to like flip the deal because I'm seeing the money that you know, my previous boss is making on his deals. I'm like, man, I got to get into flipping. So then I try to find my way into flipping. I didn't have good credit because I ended up having to file bankruptcy. So eventually I had to um, think of a way of how I'm having to flip property. So I asked them, you know, can I become more a part of the deal and then I can earn a little bit more than renting. So we did that a few times. I brought some deals to the table because I'm really good at finding things. So I brought some deals to the table. We started flipping. Um, then I realized I need to go out on my own. So I'm diving to go out on my own. Um, then my bankruptcy is finally uh, discharged, my chapter seven. So then I get a call one day from the bank. And the bank is like, hey, we own your, your mortgage now. And we want us to know if you were looking to make some payments. I'm like, look. I filed bankruptcy, guys. I don't want to have anything to do with you, and you shouldn't want to have anything to do with me. I can't afford the house. Take it, foreclose on it, do whatever you want. Well, this bank is Auckland, and I didn't really know who Auckland was then because at this point, I'm still only like renting properties and trying to bring deals to the table so I can make some money. So Auckland is like, hey, let's do a discount payoff. And I'll have a whole segment on foreclosures versus short sales versus discount payoffs later. But I'm doing it and I'm like, I don't believe what you're saying because I know banks are just very deceitful, dishonest, blah, blah, blah. So I take it to one of my attorneys and I'm like, hey, can you read through this? And he said, yeah, this is real. They want to offer you uh, your, your home free and clear if you pay this amount of money. I spent 180 grand on my condo. My baby, I loved it. I picked finishes out for it. I mean, that was you know, the end all be all, the only thing I owned in my life, everything had been taken away from me. And I thought including my house, but it hadn't been. 
So the attorney said, yeah, it's good. You should sign it. So I started negotiating and I had asked my parents for money to help me flip. And they were like, no, they kind of didn't really believe in what I was saying. So I started thinking, I said, hey, I could use the money from this deal to finance all of my flips. And that's the answer to all my problems. So we ended up selling the house. I ended up making about $47,000 back, I believe, on the property. And from there, it's been history. And that was in 2014 when I sold my property. It is That was November 2014, actually. And I brought a condo for a really, really, really raggedy condo, but I brought a condo for $250. Me and my boyfriend, we fixed it up. And I sold it. And I've been flipping since then, buddy. Call me flipper. <laughs> but I've been flipping since then. And when I tell you everything I went through, I just absolutely thought I was going to lose my mind. And even since then, I've had some bad deals dealing with some, some grimy investors. And that's a total another segment because I can go on and on and on about the things I learned. But you guys, I went from losing it all, um, repossession, to... Um, not having food in my cabinets to my bank accounts being in the negative, like literally not knowing where I was going to. Be. I mean, having ravioli was a five star meal to me because I didn't have any money. Like when I say I didn't have any money, I just went from living this luxurious lifestyle right in college to my god sister telling me you're living life too fast. The things you have. Now in life, people don't normally get those until they're in their 50s. And I'm just like, well, this is what God has for me. You know, I'm blessed. And I'm not saying that I'm not blessed, but the level that I ascend to be on, you know, there are certain turns and stops that I must make along the way. And if I look to be or whatever it is you're looking for, whatever your goals are, I, I know I have, I know what mine are. And God has told me he will never forsake me. And he hasn't. I have had epitomies sitting in vehicles and I'm like working these dead end jobs. And God is like, you'll never have to clock in on anybody's uh, time clock ever again in life. And I have not had to. I have been just cruising. But the cruise hasn't always been that A-class cruise. I've been failing. I've been not, I've not been sailing. I have been underwater. I just continue to make it. I just continue to tell myself I am not going to drown. I am going to keep going. I had to motivate myself. And you must motivate yourself. Listen to my story. I was destitute from the time my teacher told me in eighth grade that I wasn't going to be nothing in life. Nothing. He's like, you're going to be in women's prison. You're not even going to graduate high school. Look at me now, first multi-millionaire in my family. Like, you guys, come on. And I'm not saying that to say anything, because anything can be taken away from you. But I am telling you this, that you must continue your dream, your journey. Don't let anybody take it from you. They always say, whatever you would do for free is your career or what you would do for a living. And in life, we have hella things that we do on a daily basis for free, right? But think about it. The things that you do for free, it doesn't, when you, when you do something for free and you love it, it doesn't even feel like you're doing it. And that's what I found about real estate. And that's what I found about PR. And I love that quote. And it came from one of my college professors, Kisa Foster. Um, she used to own a company called Q Communications and I haven't seen Kisa in a while, but, um, Kiza, you really are a very instrumental part as to how I became to know the hustler in me. I was, I mean, along the way, you'll find every people that attribute different things to your life. And Kisa was one of those people. And Kisa told me, like, Danielle, because I had an internship with her the year I graduated college. And I was like, hey, I'm going to get paid for this. And she's like, Miss Moore, did I say you were going to get paid? And I'm just like... No, but I assumed I would because it's an internship. And she's like, would you do PR for free? And I said, yeah, and I have. She said, okay, then. Well, in life, what you would do for free will be your career. And when I started doing real estate, I realized I had been doing some of that for free anyway because I was working for the gentleman, but I was still helping him make more and more money. So, yes, I had a paycheck, but 
I wasn't, you always do more than what you're paid to do. I don't care what you say. Corporate America, please stop. You're doing more than what you're paid to do because that's what a lot of people complain about on a daily basis. I work hard and I only make this amount of money and girl, I need a raise. I'm going to quit, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to have a segment on that too, guys. Always talking about what you're going to do and you don't do it and you're still in the same situation you were in yesterday, last year, two years ago. So I'm going to have a segment on that as well. But my story was meant for you to know who you're listening to and the mind frame that I'm in and how I am destined for success, okay? From repossession to real estate. And I'm here and I'm talking to students about how they can do it too. And I'm talking to you about it, okay? So just know that you're going to get the truth from me always. But just wanted to introduce myself, guys. Okay, okay. Now, we're ready to go into our sponsorship segment. All right. Our sponsors today are Nyla Elise Clothing, the brand for Carolina Culture, which I love so much. Check them out on Instagram at Nyla, that's N-Y-L-A, Elise, E-L-I-S-E, Clothing. So that's Instagram at Nyla Elise Clothing. And every time I look at his page, he has even more supporters. Omari Hardwick from Power. Angela Yee from The Breakfast Club. My goodness. So the next one is Everything Cafe. Mr. Everything Cafe, that is, which is the home of the most famous chicken over yellow rice, which is super good. I like extra vegetables, extra onions. But go there sometime. You'll love everything on the menu. They're located at 870 Martin Luther King Jr. Drive right here in downtown Atlanta. And there's hella building going on around here too, guys. They're building up this MLK area right around the Atlanta University Center. I'm so amazed that when I drive through there, I'm looking at what wasn't there when I came to school here in 2001. It was almost like Compton. And now... And now it's just like they're trying to make it like a little baby buckhead. And it's just it just amazes me. And I'm so proud of what the city of Atlanta is doing to the neighborhoods I thought they had forgot about, but they didn't. And so now they're bringing them back. And of course, you have Morehouse, Spellman and Clark, Morris Brown and ITC all in this area. So the college students definitely support these restaurants and businesses around here which is totally great. And it's given them an opportunity to see another side of Atlanta with all this building going on. So I'm super happy and I have to pay homage to this area because this is what made me and created me. And I ate at Mr. Everything Cafe and he sponsored some of my events in college. So, hey, this shout out is long overdue, but thank you, thank you, thank you so much. And that address again is 870 Martin Luther King Jr. Drive, right down the street from our new Mercedes-Benz Stadium, which is so dope, by the way, guys. Go support the Falcons. And now, back to your regularly scheduled programming. Hey, guys, we're back. Don't we have great sponsors? All right, so before we summed up how far I've come from being in eighth grade at Carnage Middle School in Raleigh, North Carolina, and we came to college, we came to me getting laid off, we came to all the inspirations, the breakdowns and the breakthroughs, and we're back. And I'm just going to follow up um, and tell you that in 2012, I became a real estate agent. And my godmother, the same lady who paid my mortgage for me when she wasn't my godmother, also paid for me to um, go to my first brokerage. I couldn't afford to go to a brokerage. I didn't realize how much it cost to be an agent. Once again, I'm coming back from a traumatic situation from just being grateful that I've made it thus far. And... I became an agent at Cobble Banker, which I suggest anybody who's going to become an agent for the first time, if you're looking for somewhere to go, there are many great agencies to go to. I love Cobble Banker, and that was the recommendation of my godmother who said, hey, I want you to learn how to do real estate right. You've been around people who've been taking shortcuts, and I want you to know the right way to do it, so it never comes back to bite you. And I thank her. She is such a book of wisdom, um, and I should really go see her more. I mean, you guys, when people do things for you, Never, ever forget about them. And not that I've forgotten about her, but I, it seems like I had more time for her when I wasn't as busy than I do now that I am busy. And I think about her every day. And we don't live far apart. So just letting you know, never bite the hand that feeds you. And always go back and thank those people who have helped you make it to where you are. There's not one person in this world that can tell you they made it somewhere by themselves. Not one person. Not even the devil. So 2012, I became an agent. 
did my thing with Kyle Banker. A lot of um, my, my old boss became one of my clients, and I was able to get a lot of clients um, who were purchasing properties in bulk at that period of time. Um, move forward to um, me renovating my property. That townhouse I told you I brought for two fifty, which was very ugly, but that just really started the whole boom of me taking risks because. At this point, I'm using my money to now take risk instead of asking other people for their money to take risk, which is very, very major because you become your own bank when you use your own money. And that is super strong. And I say that because a lot of people run to hard money lenders, but your hard money lender may not always agree with a deal. He may not, he may not or he or she may not always say, I support you and I'm going to give you this money and I want to take this risk with you. And if they do, they will make you bring more money to the table or put more skin in the game. So that's what I started doing for myself. And it was a risk that I took because I was not able to maximize my cash flow as I thought I was going to be able to because I'm putting everything in on my deal. So all the money that I had, even the money I needed to survive with, I'm risking it all. I mean, that's kind of stupid if you look at it, but I took the risk because Hey, I said, I've been broke before. I can't, I know I can never go back to doing that because now I own real estate. Push come to shove, I sell. I at least get back what I paid for it. I at least get back some of my money. And if worse come to worse, I just break even on it. But I still had real estate. And that's the most important thing that you have to understand. You've got to buy real estate so you can have something. If you own, if you're owning to, if you're owning to rent, whatever it is, you still have real estate that you can mortgage off of, you can refi off of, you can put up collateral at the bank. Hell, you can tear the house outside of TP up and start a whole new community if you wanted to. Start a compound. It's your property. It's your land. That house could fall, but that grass still belongs to you. That soil still belongs to you. And that's what I felt like once I came out of bankruptcy and I brought that house. I didn't care how raggedy it was. I didn't care how ugly it was. Man, it was mine. I couldn't get evicted. I couldn't get put out. I couldn't get foreclosed on. Only thing somebody could do was come and break in. They would have to leave after they finished stealing nothing that I had there. But it was mine. And that is what I did not feel after I lost my condo. Or so I thought I lost my condo. It was, it was a sense of being stripped away from everything you've worked for. And when this economy crashed, if you've ever had anything stolen from you or if you've ever lost money or lost something that was very valuable to you, it, it just takes your, your whole stomach away. I mean, when I lost my condo, I felt like I lost the world. Not even the fact that I lost my job, that's why I lost my condo. But at the end of the day, when you lose something, you go home to something. You want to go home to a roof over your head or to a corner you can crawl in and cry in and, and just not be seen. And when I lost my condo, I felt like I was naked, crying out in the world, was laughing at me because I couldn't tell my parents how bad I was suffering because... I don't want to stress them out. I'm 600 miles away from home. I don't want them worried about me trying to come down here and pick me up and bring me back home because going back home after I got a college education was just disgraceful to me. I, the same thing that I've come from. Why would I want to go back to where people told me I, would, I was not going to make it? Not my mother, but I mean, my mother has totally been supportive of me, maybe not monetarily because I'm glad she didn't give me my money. Why would she have given me her 401k and I would have wasted it? But the people, teachers, people that, you know, you go back home, you get a job because of who your parents are, because who, who knows, you know, your grandmother or who knows your neighbor. No, I wanted to stay somewhere where I was forced to work harder because nobody knew me. I wanted to force myself to be great because I didn't have any other opportunity but to make it. And that is how I felt when I came to Atlanta. And I remember that I was on a bus one day um, traveling from my dorm to school and I saw this lady drive by me in a Porsche. And I was like, I looked twice because in North Carolina, I mean, growing up as a 90s baby, I'm an 80s baby by birth, but I grew up in the 90s. Women don't, didn't drive Porsches. Women drove minivans, station wagons. They, I don't know, maybe drove a Lexus uh, SUV, but they did not drive Porsches in expensive cars like BMW drop tops. And when I saw that, I said, man, that's going to be me one day. That lady inspired me. And I don't even know who she was. She doesn't know who I am. But she inspired me to be great. And from that very day, that January 2001 day, I knew that I was going to be great. And I didn't know what I was going to be great in. But I knew I was going to be great because I wanted to live that lifestyle. And I don't know about you guys. Um, I am of a mixed race. But I claim African-American wholeheartedly. Although a lot of us are mixed in this world. But coming from a family where we struggled a lot, not because we struggled mentally and we struggled financially. 
Um, my mother divorced my father. Um, I was caught up in the whirlwind of it. Mentally, I thought that we were poor after my father left. And it's because whatever happened with the bills, it just happened. But coming from a place of just struggling as a middle-class family, not knowing that your mom is really, really trying to pick up two and three jobs so you guys can make it and can have decent clothes and you guys could pay the rent and still go on vacations, that's a lot for a mother. And I didn't understand that until I got older where my mother would have to borrow money from my uncles to, you know, to pay bills or whatever it was. And I remember hearing my mother on the phone one day asking my uncle, could, could she borrow money? And my uncle was kind of scolding her as if, what are you going to do with the money? And I said to myself then, you guys, I'm probably like maybe 11 or 12 years old at the very most. I'm probably like 12. Um, I have an old soul. So I kind of understood things sooner than the average 12 year old did growing up. And I said, you know what? My mother is never, I'm going to make it to the point where my mother is never going to have to ask anybody for money. If my family needs money, they're going to be able to come to me. Now with saying that, I sacrificed a lot of things too. I'm 36. I have no kids, but I wanted my career, but I don't, I don't take anything from that. Um, a lot of my girlfriends have had children and I look at their kids. I'm like, oh, they're cute. But, you know, I just I still don't want them yet. And I know that God will touch me like an angel when it's my time, if, if my time comes. But when you ask for things, be very, very woke about what you're asking for, because you don't know what it's going to take for you to get there or what you will have to sacrifice for you to get there. For instance, I may have sacrificed traveling a lot or I may have sacrificed having kids, or I may have sacrificed, you know, having a family, and um, these are, my dogs, my dogs are in the background, so um, these are things that I've sacrificed, but I know that we had financial issues growing up, and I didn't, I didn't ever want my mother to have to ask somebody else for money and they give her the response that my uncle gave her. And I love my uncle. And that day he doesn't understand what he did, but he really opened my eyes. He opened my eyes to financial stability. And I, from that day, I knew that I was going to get it. And I got it. And I'm hustling. I'm still hustling. Everything I've been through, I have not forgot about my dream of financial stability. And it's here. And I have it. And I'm happy. And I'm thankful. And I'm here to shoot it back at you guys. So as I'm talking, I always like to just tell you guys where I'm coming from emotionally. Like, what's the background of the point I'm trying to make? And that point was people are going to say some really discouraging things to you in life. Hell, they may tell you you ain't shit. And mama, if you listen to this, I'm sorry for cussing. But they may tell you that. But... You got to know yourself. You got to want better for yourself. You got to know that it don't matter what somebody tells you that ultimately you're going to win. Because some people, some people lose for so long, you guys. And I tell people this all the time. People lose for so long. They don't know when they're winning. You got to know when you're winning, even when you're losing. That's my motto because I'm winning all the time. Nobody don't tell me no, because guess what? I'm going to find another way around. And any of my girlfriends know that you tell me something and I can't figure it out. I'm going off the grid and watch when I come back, I'm going to have figured it out frontward and backwards and made my own rendition of it and skipped all around it and moved on to 10 light years ahead of you. That is who I am. And that is who God has created me to be. And I want you to know that you have that inside of you as well. Because if you think about it, the things that you want in life, if you ever wanted somebody, a girl, if you ever wanted a guy, you're going to figure a way out to entertain him, to to showcase your, your talents or whatever it is you bring to the table. Or if you want a job interview, you're going to be your best, right? So be your best for you even when you're not impressing somebody. Impress yourself. Because at the end of the day, love don't pay the bills. All right? Or your car note. Okay. <laughs> so... We're in 2012, I got my license, we moved forward, I started rehabbing, started building, and I fell in love with building from the ground up. I got into some projects that really kind of just, you know, flipped me over, and I, I just, I ended up breaking even on some. I never bring money to the closing table, you hear me? I never bring money to the closing table. I will break even before I bring money to the closing table for my own deal, not doing it. That's just my motto, my charter. I'm not going to do it. If you don't want to buy my house, it's cool. Somebody else will because it only takes one person to come along and like your property and put your house on the contract and buy it. And we're moving on with life. So we are moving along now. We're in 2014. I'm doing a whole lot better. Um, 
I ended up losing my baby, this year, my, my dog. I had, I had a Boston Terrier. I ended up losing my dog. He had cancer. It was a lot. He had been my road dog. I mean, this little baby has just, he's been there for me. When we didn't have any food, I mean, he I made sure he ate and I had whatever I had, but he struggled right along with me. So I lost him in 2013. Um, 2014, I sold my house. Um, 2015, I started working on my um, my condo. And I didn't stop. When I brought that one condo in the neighborhood, I brought six more. Okay. I kept pushing because I realized the investment that I had. When you have a piece of property and you can rent that piece of property and you brought it for super, super low, you better get as many as you can. So I ended up stacking up. I got as many as I could and I started renting some of them. Now, this is where we come in and people talk about they want rentals for their portfolio. Let me tell you, it is nothing like the first of the month coming and you have people lined up to pay your rent. Sometimes you will have to evict them. That is from residential to commercial. People get evicted in the commercial world too. If you ever drive down the street and your restaurant tells you they closed or they moved and they got evicted, okay? So, <laughs> especially if it's like at an odd time of the year. So, I do have to, I did have to evict people. I came to realize that I didn't want to do that facet of real estate. I really didn't want to be in rentals anymore. That is what helped me get out of my 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 grunt, out of the my my dry area. I was in my desert. I wasn't making money. Rentals helped me come out of that. That doesn't mean you have to always stick with something because it's a part of real estate. Find your facet in real estate. And that is why I support building because building is what I ultimately wanted to do when I was working for the billion dollar developer. I call him the billion dollar developer. Um, I ultimately wanted to build ever since I went to that first board meeting and I said, dang, man, he is really building buildings. Like this man is building the AT&T building. I mean, the, the Gas South building, this man is building this stuff and that fascinated me. And I was a totally different level of wealth that I wanted to achieve. So I always knew in the back of my mind that I was going to get there at some point. So as time went on, I created a nonprofit called Friend My Family Cork. And Friend My Family is aimed at ending family homelessness through education and home ownership. And I started teaching high school students real estate. I'm going into the classrooms for free, telling them about how they could buy real estate with their lunch money. It started off as just something I felt like I should do because I was buying in the city of Atlanta. And I'm buying in a lot of the communities that you guys are walking to school from or catching the bus from, your grandparents live, you know, whoever. You're living in these inner city underserved, impoverished neighborhoods, and I'm over here buying the houses for pennies. So why not help you? Because you are the future, right? You're buying Jordans when you don't even know about the real estate beside you costs just as much as those Jordans cost, but you don't know that. Or that weave that goes all the way down your back. It is just as much to buy that weave as it costs to buy that real estate. At the end of the day, once you wear those Jordans and you dirty them up, they're not worth the same thing you pay for them. Once you wear that weave and you stink it up, <laughs> It ain't worth nothing no more. Okay. So, but that real estate is, that real estate beside you, look, everybody's not going to go to college or technical school, blah, blah, blah. Somebody wants to stop where they are, get a job and stay there for their family and they want to move forward. Okay. And that is what real estate does for these high school kids. When, when you know better, you will do better. And these kids love this. This became a movement. Teachers loved it. People wanted me back. Schools continue to call me over and over again. Like, can you please come talk to our seniors? And believe it or not, I've been to the most bougie schools where parents, the average parent probably makes $100,000 a year to alternative schools where these kids are just trying to get a GED. And the kids that go to the, um, the school where the parents make at least $100,000 a year, they were the most interested in it. The kids that were in the alternative school, believe it or not, they almost knew more than I did about real estate. I, I mean, it's just, it was, it was such an eye-opening experience where these children are, are not being taught what they need to survive. They need survival skills for society. And as I'm talking to these students, the teachers start asking me, hey, do you teach adults? You know, do you teach post-education classes as well? And I said at that time, I didn't. Um, as of August of this year, um, marks my second year in, in having this nonprofit. And I am now starting to teach real estate seminars to ages 18 plus. And I'm traveling the United States, teaching this stuff, kicking this knowledge, getting down dirty, telling people the truth. I'm not going to sell you a dream. I'm going to tell you how hard it is. I'm going to tell you how easy it is. And I'm going to tell you if you've 
messed up on your investment or if you can fix your investment. I'm going to tell you why you shouldn't spend your 401k here and why you probably should just take half of it and go and do this. I'm going to tell you why you should probably go and buy the taxes on that property. And you have more power when you buy taxes, by the way, in some instances, but we'll talk about that later. But I'm kicking the real, real. And it's my, my tour is called Young and Influential. Because there's so many young and influential, young and influential, notable people out here that you need to know. That you need to know their names, you need to know how to reach out to them. You need to know that you've got some 21-year-olds building property. You need to know you got some 30-year-olds that are creating communities. You need to know you got some 36-year-olds like myself that are starting this movement, this movement of this real estate culture, which is so strong and so powerful. But I'm gonna tell you the way that I know how to tell you. And I'm not going to sugarcoat it with a song and dance and a book. And although I am writing a book, How to Buy Real Estate with Your Lunch Money, it's not going to be sugarcoated. I'm not going to be on there talking about, oh, I made a million dollars the first time I flipped a house. Hell no. Nah. No, I did not. <laughs> I actually broke even on my first property. And that was just, I was so happy to get my money back that I could have did a backflip if I knew how to do one. So here we are to today. And believe it or not, I ended up finding somebody who would help me along the way and is an investor. And he was an investor and a financial investor. He became my financial partner. And I never, to this day, you guys, I have never met this man in person. I've only talked to him on the phone. And we live in the same city half the time. And he believed in my very first project. And he told me he believed in me from day one. Did not, did, don't even, never heard of this man before in my life. Uh, we never shared pictures, never FaceTime, never anything. He's always been about his money. But the fact is, a stranger believed in me and believed in me to take me to the next level. The next level of not using my own money to flip deals. So not only was I able to do multiple deals at one time, I was able to buy more expensive houses that my little $40,000 could not afford to buy. So I'm able to buy the house and do the rehab. And he always pushed me to go further. And now I own a commercial building. And we're going to flip this commercial building. And not only that, we're moving on to communities. And now I'm building my first community next year. And I'm building my first tiny home village for my nonprofit. So when I say, if you look at my Instagram page, at Your Smart Investor, I always talk about building bigger. And that's what I do. So I want to influence you guys to do that. Um, you, can pick, you can get more information out of my book. Um, that I will be have that I will have <laughs> posted on my Instagram really soon. And I really, really, really thank you guys for listening to me, supporting me. It is a movement. And I thank you for taking a seat on my train as we travel this path. And I will get with you guys soon. All right. I'm going to try to give you guys a good podcast every week and get some other people in here to tell you their stories as well. My tour is called Young and Influential. Look out for me. Um, email me. Are you a smart investor at gmail.com? Follow me on Instagram at your smart investor. I want to have you on the show if you want to come on and you want to talk and you want to ask questions. Um, you send them to my email, I will address them. And I will try to address every question, even if I can't get it on the show. I will address it by email. And I just thank you for the love, guys. All right, go flip a house.